Today is Memorial Day, and while we recognize the service of those who have fought in wars, we also prepare for the next step in a potential cultural war against facial coverings. This week, Governor Ralph Northam is set to make an announcement about their use. Make plans uh, for you uh, and your other family members to have facial protection. As we approach the beginning of June, we have enough time to look back on where we've been throughout these last few weeks. Today's show takes a look at what two food-related agencies have been doing during the pandemic. We launched two drive through markets a week that serve around 23, 24 different local farmers and vendors in the Virginia area. We're really grateful for everything the volunteers at our partner pantries did to make this happen and to make sure that people in the community had access to food assistance. I'm Sean Tubbs, the creator of the Charlottesville Podcasting Network, and thanks for taking the time to listen to the Charlottesville Quarantine Report today. Let's get started with some information. The Virginia Department of Health is reporting nearly 1,500 new cases of COVID-19 this morning in what is one of the largest one-day increases to date. The percent of positive tests across the state is 14.3%. The state set a new record in testing, with over 17,000 samples processed yesterday. The number of COVID-19 deaths in the Commonwealth has risen to 1,208. There are six new cases reported in the Thomas Jefferson Health District today for a cumulative total of 422. There are now 19 reported COVID-19 fatalities in the district. Do you have symptoms that you think could be the coronavirus? The Virginia Department of Health has launched a new telehealth initiative called COVID Check, which is intended to connect people with symptoms to available tests. COVID Check also intends to provide answers on what to do and is also a potential first point of contact with disease surveillance investigators hired by the VDH, otherwise known as contact tracers. With school across the country canceled, an entire cohort of Virginians will graduate from high school without an in-person ceremony. This Friday, Virginia Public Media will air a virtual ceremony called Virginia Graduates Together. They are seeking photographs, messages, and videos from students from the class of 2020. Information is in the show notes. Our first segment today summarizes Governor Ralph Northam's press conference from Friday, May 22nd. The metrics used by the Virginia Department of Health to track data have changed several times over the past several weeks. One of the most significant data points is the percent of COVID-19 tests that come back positive. The percent positivity from testing continues to trend downward. Statewide, it is at about 15%. As we heard earlier, that figure today is 14.3%. The direction that number goes in depends on a whole lot of factors, all of which boil down to the same basic advice that we've heard so much in the past three months. Let's hear them again, just in case. Please wash your hands. Stay six feet away from other people and wear a face covering in public. We know that when most people wear masks, that goes a long way toward reducing the spread of the disease. As I have said before, wearing a mask could literally save someone else's life. At the next press conference on Tuesday, we can expect to hear questions about photos that were taken of Governor Northam this weekend, in which he appears in public without his mask. 
That's the same day he's also expected to make an announcement about the role that facial coverings will play in the first two phases of the Forward Virginia plan. Face coverings are an important part of the next steps, and we will have more to say about that next week, especially as we think about phase one and phase two. I know everyone is wondering when Northern Virginia, Richmond, and Accomack County will be able to move into phase one and when the rest of the state will move into phase two. We are in frequent communication with officials in those localities and we'll have more information to share next week. Several weeks ago, state officials said higher testing capacity would be necessary in order to move through the phases of reopening the economy. As we approach June, the number of possible tests is much higher than it was as we approached May. This week, we did more than 4,000 tests at community events in Woodbridge, Manassas, and Leesburg. The Virginia National Guard has done almost 11,000 tests as of this past Tuesday, and will have done 9,000 this week as of Sunday. It is not clear to me yet whether those figures cover those who were tested at community testing events at the Jefferson School City Center and Mount Zion Baptist Church over the weekend, this past Saturday. I have questions out and hope to hear more about that in the coming days. Virginia does appear poised to continue ramping up the number of tests, and there is a strategy. Next week, we have planned 44 community testing events, and we anticipate that will include 17,000 500 tests. We'll also be doing point prevalence surveys in approximately 15 facilities with 6,000 tests. Later on in today's show, we're going to hear from Michael McKee, CEO of the Blue Ridge Area Food Bank, about what that organization has been doing to address food insecurity in a time of crisis. In Virginia, three-quarters of a million people rely on the federal Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. Northam had an announcement on Friday. We also refer to that as SNAP benefits. This week, the USDA has approved a pilot project from our Department of Social Services to allow SNAP recipients to order groceries online and to also have them delivered. This will launch next Friday, May the 29th. This will help families get access to nutritious food without having to leave their homes. Initially, this program will allow recipients to order from Amazon or Walmart, but the program could expand. Three months ago, Virginia was in a very different place economically, but unemployment figures released last week shows how much things have changed. As you know, we had enjoyed a low 2.8% unemployment rate prior to COVID-19. For April, however, our unemployment rate rose to 10.6%. This is expected as we now have approximately 720,000 people in Virginia who have filed for unemployment, including 44,000 new claims this past week. There have been uh, reports uh, that I realize uh, individuals, Virginians, are having difficulty uh, getting their unemployment benefits. Uh, So I'm pleased to announce that uh, uh, we are opening up a, a new call center with 315 additional employees to help handle uh, those requests. And now back to masks. There is some sort of an announcement coming this week. Let's hear how Governor Ralph Northam responded to this question from Cam Thompson of CBS 6 in Richmond. 
Thompson provides some of the best live coverage of these events through Twitter. But let's hear the question and answer period, as it was on Friday, May 22nd. I know you mentioned you're just going to talk about it more next week, but yesterday, Mayor Labarstoni said that he had written requesting at least a mask mandate for the city. Uh, have you made a decision on that request, and can you say whether or not you, you would grant this or potentially for the statewide level as well? Yeah, the question is about the fair, uh, wearing of facial protection, and Cam, I appreciate that question, and I, I spoke with uh, our mayor earlier today and also uh, received a letter from him, um, and I applaud the, the mayor uh, for wanting to do what's safe uh, uh, in, in our city uh, of Richmond. Uh, we also know, uh, as I mentioned earlier, that, that facial protection uh, is one of the ways that we stop the spread of this virus. So we have been talking about this for a number of days. Uh, we are working through the policy cam uh, over the next couple of days, and, and I will make an announcement uh, on Tuesday regarding that, especially, and, and we're, we're trying to work through some of the details. Obviously, uh, it's an equity uh, issue. We want to make sure everybody has access uh, to a mask. Uh, we also want to talk about how we enforce that, uh, but I'll be making that uh, uh, announcement on Tuesday, and especially for individuals that are going into places of business, because uh, that's one of the most vulnerable places. And we, again, the, the mask uh, is intended to protect other people. And, and that's what our, our goal is. And is that decision for Richmond or for the state? That will be for all of Virginia. For all of Virginia. Yes. Thank you for clarifying that. While we're on the subject of masks, another reporter asked if children should be wearing them. I would encourage uh, children uh, to wear facial protection uh, when they're out and about in the public. And, and the reason is, is that you know, they can contract the virus. They, they can, uh, some of them are symptomatic. Uh, as you know, we've, we've had this vasculitis uh, syndrome. Uh, but some of them uh, are asymptomatic. And so uh, in order to protect others, we would encourage them to wear masks as well. Let's hear another question and another answer, this time from Henry Graff, who covered Charlottesville for many years before going to work for NBC12 in Richmond. Catch you off guard here with this, but just from the Trump administration, uh, the CDC at the Trump administration's request has apparently declared all churches nationwide essential and that they should open immediately. What would be your response to that? Well, Henry, the, the question is about our, our places of, of worship across the Commonwealth. And the, the first thing that I would say is in a time like this, uh, when so many people are struggling and, and, um, and, and making sacrifices, faith is, is more important than ever. And, and we want to make sure that, that uh, individuals are, are allowed to, to practice their religion uh, and that they're allowed to do it safely. So as we went into phase one, uh, we changed the, uh, the guidelines regarding our places of worship, and that now they are on the same level as retail uh, stores, uh, that they can have 50% capacity. Uh, they need to continue to practice social distancing, uh, hygiene, um, those types of things. So, so we made that uh, announcement as part of phase one. Um, I have talked to a, a lot of faith leaders, in, including my minister on the Eastern Shore, um, and a lot of churches are, are continuing to do the, the outside, the, the drive-up uh, uh, services. And, and so uh, just because we've allowed uh, places of worship to, to open up uh, with those new guidelines, it doesn't mean that they have to. So if they're more comfortable uh, continuing the practices that they've been using over the past few weeks, they can do that. But, uh, but we've made sure that, that people can continue to practice their, their faith uh, as we work through this pandemic. Today is Memorial Day. And we conclude this segment with Governor Northam talking about what the day is supposed to mean. 
So in, in closing, I, I want to remind people of what Memorial Weekend means, and that is that uh, many men and women who wore the cloth uh, paid the ultimate sacrifice so that we can have the freedoms that we enjoy every day. So uh, remember that uh, over the weekend. If you see a, an active duty member uh, of our service, thank them uh, for what they do, and also uh, a veteran, thank them as well for their service. That's Governor Ralph Northam speaking on Friday, May 22nd. You're listening to the Charlottesville Quarantine Report, and we'll be back in just a moment. We complete the show today with two segments about food. In a moment, we'll hear from Michael McKee of the Blue Ridge Area Food Bank about the need for more resources to address food insecurity during the COVID-19 pandemic and after. But first, the local food hub was created in 2009 to help make connections between people who grow food and the people who end up eating it and all the steps in between. Over the years, I particularly enjoyed writing stories about local agriculture, thanks to work done by groups like the local food hub. During this pandemic, the local food hub has altered some of their regular programs to address these serious needs. On Friday, I spoke with Portia Boggs, the Director of Advancement and Communications at the local food hub. We're now 10 weeks into this, I think. And uh, what has the local food hub been doing all this time? Yeah, so the local food hub pivoted very quickly at the start of this pandemic um, because we realized how relevant the impacts of COVID-19 were to our work. Um, so I would say the two biggest pivots that we've made are our drive through market. So we launched two drive through markets a week um, that serve around 23, 24 different local farmers and vendors in the Virginia area. With those, they're no contact, drive-through only, so people go online, order in advance, pay in advance, and then are able to pick up their food at a designated time slot um, without ever having to get out of their cars. Um, and it has been a real lifeline, both for our vendors and for people who want to continue to be able to access high-quality local products. Um, you know, even when traditional markets are closing and restaurants are having restricted hours and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, the other major pivot that we've done is launching our fresh pharmacy program early. Um, so our fresh pharmacy program typically operates on a 26 week period every other week, serving around 300 participants over the summer months. It is now operating whatever from whatever april 1st to end of october is um on a weekly basis instead of bi-weekly basis um right now we are up to around 600 participants and we anticipate reaching around 650 and then holding steady at that for the end of the year um so a pretty significant change in terms of program capacity on that end again just because in these times of crisis food insecurity and income inequality become bigger problems than ever before. And we really believe that local healthy nourishing food is a right of everybody, 
not just those who can afford to shop at our farmers markets. Um, so we are trying to get that food to everyone in our community. Real quick, can you give a sense then just of, of both of these programs, both Fresh Pharmacy and the drive through Market, how many vendors and farms and farm operations are we talking about here? Yeah, so Fresh Pharmacy works with about 20 to 25 different farms. Um, and our drive through Market likewise works with about 20, 25 different farms and businesses. Um, so with the drive through market, we have some that, you know, like we're working with the pie chest, which is not a farmer per se, but is a local family owned, family run business that buys locally whenever possible. So we're also using the markets to support businesses like that. Um, there is a little bit of overlap between the two. So some of our farmers at the markets occasionally serve fresh pharmacy bags as well. But by and large, I would say we're reaching 35 plus local businesses and vendors with both of these programs. Now, one change that has happened now that we're uh, several weeks into this and we're in phase one here in Charlottesville, um, there have been changes to farmers markets, but you all have said that you're going to continue doing the drive through markets. Yeah, um, we feel very strongly that the need for our drive through markets in the iteration that they currently exist in remains important. Um, Yes, Virginia is reopening, and we are so grateful to farmers markets like the X market that allows people to walk up. Um, but we have heard from our vendors and from our customers that they want the market to continue as is. So many of our customers are people who are immunocompromised or elderly and not comfortable going into a grocery store or a traditional market experience. Um, and many of our vendors have told us you know, we're, we still have reduced sales. We still do not anticipate restaurant sales picking up, institutional sales picking up. Um, for our brick and mortar stores that we're working with, um, we've heard that they do not anticipate business as usual returning for several more months. And so overwhelmingly, we have gotten the feedback that no contact pre-order only drive through markets are still very much a community need. And we are happy to meet that need. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was also a line in the press release I was looking at about needing COVID uh, things that are still stable or somewhat stable as we yeah. go through this. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's the most terrifying thing about COVID-19 is that nobody really knows. I mean, we still there's still so little that we know about it, and we don't know what the impacts of this gradual reopening will be. We don't know how how our community will continue to be impacted as we adapt and try to return to normal. And I think that there is real benefit to just maintaining infrastructure that is 100% COVID resilient um, so that if and when there are more waves of infection, we don't have to rebuild that. It's still there, it's still going strong and people know that they have it there to rely on. And in so many ways, in both programs and probably some other ideas that, that I think, you know, not just your organization, but other organizations are rethinking the way they do things, sort of uh, looking ahead, you know, obviously we don't know what's going to happen, but um, it really is about building new supply lines and connections, exactly, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, obviously we're still in the, maybe not early days of this, but certainly we're not close to the end yet. You know, right. um, is it too early for organizations like yours to look ahead at, at, at what that might look like in terms of a systems, a full systems approach to change? 
That is a really excellent question. And it is something that we are talking about actively at Local Food Hub. Um, I think a return to normal is months, if not, you know, more than a year away. And there's no guarantee that the normal that we return to will be the normal that we go to will be the normal that we had before all of this started. Um, and so, yeah, we are really thinking about, you know, what does this look like, not only a month from now, but six months from now and a year from now? And what is our role after this pandemic is over? And hopefully the world sees a need for these shorter supply chains and resilient community-based infrastructure. Like, where do we fit into that? What is our role? And what can we be doing now to help us get to a healthier, more resilient future for everyone? And and in a lot of ways, that's what the local food hub's mission has been for the last 10 years yeah. you've been in existence, um, yeah, trying, to, sure. trying to get people to rethink that and to reconnect markets, um, or oh, rather... Yeah. That in some ways to reconnect the land with the people, you know, the the fruits of the land, if you will, with with people who are closest to that land in particular. Yeah, I mean, I would say that from the beginning, our one of our primary goals has been to build the infrastructure that connects farms to their communities. So, as you know, in the early days, and really for the first nine and a half years of our existence, that meant building up an entire distribution business, you know, where we distributed millions of dollars of local products to institutions and businesses throughout Virginia. Um, last year, we realized that the next step in that was to sell that distribution business to Forky Foods and other food hubs so that they could scale up and gain efficiencies of scale. And we could focus on building all of the support infrastructure that that distribution system needs. And now that looks like building this market infrastructure. And who knows what it'll look like a year from now, but we're in it for the long haul. Now, in addition to the drive through markets and the Fresh Pharmacy program, what other programs do you have that are going on that might not even necessarily be, well, everything's COVID-19 related, but that might not necessarily be as tied um, and as pivotable? Yeah, exactly. Um, so we are still running our grower services program. Um, so our grower services coordinator, so grower services is basically all of the support services that farms need um, in order to thrive both as a business and a farm. Um, so we do things like help with production planning, help people understand food safety regulations, provide cost share on food safety certifications. Um, those programs are still very much in action. They have pivoted slightly you know, a lot of our educational outreach now is sort of targeted at what federal funding is available for farms. Um, but we are still just helping farms with the, the business of farming throughout all of this. And then I would say all of our community level coalition participation and policy conversations about what health equity and food equity looks like in Charlottesville and in Virginia are still sort of continuing Again, with a pivot, obviously, because nothing in this world is the same anymore, but are still a steady part of our work. So if somebody wants to get involved with these drive through markets, uh, can you just uh, talk a little bit about how they would do so? Yeah, absolutely. So if you just go to localfoodhub.org slash micromarket, um, that has instructions on ordering and the link to the buying page. Um, we have markets on Wednesdays and Fridays. 
Um, you can order for the Wednesday markets, Thursday afternoons through Monday morning, and then the Friday markets, Monday afternoon through Thursday morning. So there's essentially always a market that you can order for, um, but ordering for each market closes about a day, day and a half in advance. That was Portia Boggs, the Director of Advancement and Communications at the local food hub. The Blue Ridge Area Food Bank was created in 1981 to distribute food to the hungry in and around Stanton. They have since expanded to over 25 counties and eight cities in our part of Virginia. The COVID-19 pandemic altered their operations as well. I spoke with CEO Michael McKee on Friday, May 22nd. It has been 78 days since the management team at the Blue Ridge Area Food Bank sat down to figure out what our response to the pandemic really needed to be. Um, a lot has changed. Um, we have really worked hard with our partner agencies in the local communities we serve. These are pantries, soup kitchens, and shelters, mostly pantries. And they've really leaned into this. They've held up. Um, and 94% to 96% of them have remained open. So out of 205, only a few have closed at any point in time since all of this began. And that is the highest open rate of any food bank in the state and among the highest of the 200 food banks um, across the country that are members of Feeding America. So we're really grateful for everything the volunteers at our partner pantries did to make this happen and to make sure that people in the community had access to food assistance. I'll tell you what's been stunning is just how many more people are looking for help. Uh, we track how many people are seeking assistance for the first time, how many show up to a pantry and say, I've not been here before. And that number has quadrupled in April compared to January and February and even December. So it is a stunning surge in the number of people needing help. Um, April, we estimate that we served through our partners 21% uh, more people than April of the previous year um, and 28% more people than February of this year. So every indication is that the need really is rising. McKee said that that number could soon rise quite high. We know that the federal stimulus has blunted the effect that we would otherwise see. The supplemental unemployment insurance that the feds have provided, the stimulus checks, have all helped people keep afloat and, frankly, are, are keeping some people from needing to um, access our services. But we know, too, that when that runs out and there does not seem to be an appetite in Washington for extending the unemployment supplement, we'll see an even greater surge of people seeking help. And, and that's really what we're beginning to prepare for now. Um, I'll, I'll say, too, that the uh, response from volunteers has just blown us away. We've had more than 670 new volunteers sign up to help at the Blue Ridge Area Food Bank since early March. So many, in fact, that we cannot put all of them to work. Um, when the governor issued the stay-at-home order, uh, we really uh, tapered down 
our volunteer shifts to be able to operate according to social distancing guidelines. Um, and so we were able to use fewer volunteers than we typically would for the work that needed to be done. Uh, so we're finding new ways to use them beyond sorting food and, and packing boxes. We have uh, put senior uh, put uh, volunteers to work calling senior citizens who are not showing up at the food pantries as they usually might or are not picking up a monthly food box that we prepare for them. So we've had dozens of volunteers uh, calling these seniors, over 200 calls made um, as of yesterday. And um, most are, are recruiting their family and friends to pick up for them, but we've had a, a few dozen who were not and really did need the food. So we utilized volunteers to make home deliveries to seniors who really were running out of food. And uh, that's been encouraging to have the access to volunteers to do things like that. So everyone's leaning into it. Um, our, our partner pantries are doing everything they can. We have a lot of people in the community providing financial support, offering to volunteer. Um, it's really inspiring, and I'll tell you, as, as hard as everyone is working at the food bank, having so many people offer to help walk alongside us to make sure that we're feeding everyone who needs food um, it's it's an extraordinary lift to our spirits. That was Michael McKee, CEO of the Blue Ridge Area Food Bank. What do you think? How has your food situation changed in the past 10 weeks? What are you doing differently? Send me a note to wordcast at gmail.com and let me know. I'd love to get more of your thoughts on a future edition of this show. But that's it for this one, this episode of the Charlottesville Quarantine Report for Memorial Day, May 25th, 2020. We'll be back soon with more on this continuing situation. I'm Sean Tubbs, and thanks for listening.